All right, all right. Good morning. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to be back here. I consider Southern California uh, my home and to be at a church that I consider um, filled with friends and people that I cherish very, very much. I appreciate Pastor Mike and Pastor Pete so tremendously. We've been friends for uh, almost 15 years now and grateful for the work that God is doing through them and continues to do through Compass. And what a privilege to return home. Uh, Here's a picture of our kids. Um, This was taken yesterday morning before we left. And... uh, (laughs) Almost, not exactly true, but uh, we got six kids, and uh, they're joy to us. Love our crew so very, very much, and um, my wife, Julie, and I are enjoying uh, being back in a place we consider home, Southern California. Thank you for embracing us so wholeheartedly. The reason we remain. Why do we remain? Believer, why are you here? Why are you on the planet? Why did our Heavenly Father not take us immediately to heaven when we were born again? Why did He leave us here? John G. Patton is the name of a Scottish missionary from the mid-19th century. So a couple hundred years ago, uh, he was serving the Lord faithfully as a missionary in Glasgow, Scotland, an inner city missionary and an evangelist, and God was using him mightily. Uh, but the Scottish people also had a great passion for missions. And about 15 years prior, two men by the names of Williams and Harris had gone to the New Hebrides Islands. In fact, they were the very first American missionaries, or missionaries at all, to these natives in the New Hebrides Islands. So as Williams and Harris had gotten off their large vessel that had carried them there from England. They got into a smaller vessel. They uh, rowed to shore. Within moments of them landing on the sands, the natives come out of the jungle. They kill them and eat them with the ship still in the harbor. Cannibalized moments without even saying a word to the people that they had gone to express the glory of Christ to. So John Patton, in his youth, being very effective in his ministry in Glasgow, was called by God to the New Hebrides. And people were in an uproar. They said, you can't go. You're going to be cannibalized, and and it's going to be a waste, and uh, everything's going to go wrong, and you can stay here and be fruitful here. But, uh, But he responded to God's call, and he went there, landing on the island with his young wife, who was pregnant on November 5th, 1858. Within three months of landing on the island, she gave birth to their firstborn son. And what joy, a new ministry, a new life, a a new opportunity to bring God glory in this new place as missionaries for the king. Sadly, tragedy stuck. And within three weeks, she died. And two weeks later, his baby son died as well. He went from the height of newness and joy to the depth of loneliness and despair. In fact, he had to sleep on the grave of his wife because if he didn't, the natives would have dug her up and eaten her carcass as cannibals. He was alone. He was suffering. And yet, he knew the reason he remained on the planet. He leaves this as a testimony related to this great suffering. John Patton writes this, 
I do not pretend to know the mystery of such dispensations of suffering, wherein God calls away the young, the promising, and those sorely needed for his service here. But this I do know and feel, that in light of such dispensations of trials, it becomes all of us who love and serve our blessed Lord so that we may be ready at his call in the time of our death. John Patton knew the reason that we remained, and I can't wait for you to see this for yourself. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, your word, I pray by the power of your spirit, would come alive within all of our hearts, that we would leave this room inspired by what we're taught because the Holy Spirit bears forth the message and not just inspired in our understanding, but inspired in our doing, activated and engaged in what you call us to so that you are glorified in our lives for us to know why we remain and for us to live in accordance with that knowledge is our greatest joy. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do hope, by the way, that you've taken your note sheet and that you've written down the reason why we remain. So, by the way, just as an aside, uh, no extra charge for this, um, Christianity is, a spec is not a spectator sport, all right? So when you come to church, you come as priests to your God. You come ready to li leave an offering at the altar. So 1 Peter 2, verses 5 through 9 says that we're all priests. The point that I'm making right now is this. When you come into God's house to hear God speak, by all means, get ready. Bible open, no ready, pen in hand. And I would encourage you to do that now. So what is the reason that we remain? Write that down in the notes in front of you right now. Engage and press into this so that you're thinking along what God's going to teach us so that you can then be blessed and strengthened. But let's go to the text. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Because in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, we're going to see Paul reveal to us the reason why believers remain. Why do believers stay behind? Why aren't we taken immediately to heaven? He's going to teach us clearly from this passage. But let's orient a little bit about what's happening in Philippians 1. Uh, where is Paul writing from? Let's talk about the city that he's writing from. Paul writes to the church of Philippi from what city? Do you know? The city of Rome, that's exactly right. He's writing from Rome, and he's in what situation in Rome? He's writing from what specific place? From a prison, that's right. This is one of the prison epistles. So he's writing from his imprisonment to the believers in Philippi, and there are other prison epistles as well. And he says actually in verse 12 that his imprisonment had led to the progress of the gospel. So he's excited about his imprisonment. Now, if you want to be blessed, I know that there's a reading plan that so many of you are committed to, but if you want to add another study to that this week, read Acts 20 through 28. It tells the entire story of the Holy Spirit calling Paul to go to Jerusalem, to be arrested so that he can then appeal to Caesar. You see, Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had a very unique right to appeal directly to Caesar, and Paul wanted to preach the gospel to Caesar directly. And so he went, he was arrested, and now he's writing to the Philippian believers from his imprisonment, awaiting his opportunity to appeal before Caesar from the city of Rome. Hopefully by now you found your way to Philippians 1, 21 through 26. Let's read this. Verse 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. 
My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Well, let's begin with this first point here in verse 21, a colossal claim. Hopefully, if you've been in Christ for some season, you've considered this verse and you've thought about it deeply. In verse 21, Paul makes a colossal claim. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is enough for its own series of sermons. But let's break it down. There's two claims here. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is incredible. What an amazing statement to summarize his life and his future. Well, let's take one phrase at a time, to live as Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to live as Christ? What is the significance of such a claim or such a concept? Well, to live as Christ means that his life was the eternal life of Jesus Christ. It means three things. Primarily, that his life was the eternal life of Jesus Christ, number one. Two, that the source was from the Lord, that we're living by his strength and by his life, this eternal life. And three, that all aspects of Paul's life were gathered under the lordship of Christ and were for the purpose of glorifying Christ. So we have eternal life. He's the source of that eternal life. And his life was to then live out the glory of Christ so that when people saw his life, they saw Christ. So if you were watching Paul work, he was a tent maker, you would think Christ. If you heard Paul preach, you would think Christ. If you had the ability to see Paul's thoughts and you saw all of them, you would think Christ. That his desires, Christ, what he did, Christ, that every aspect of his life was drawn together under the reign of Christ to be conformed to the Lordship of Christ. This is what it means for our life to be Christ. I need your help with something because I'd like to pull one over on Pastor Mike. Are you with me on this? Can I have your help? At least I have the help of a few of you. Um, Adipat. You know what Adipat is, don't you? Can a brother get a witness? Adipat. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So uh, who knows Adipat? Raise your hand if you know Adipat. And uh, we'll have to work with you on that. Okay. So um, most of you know Adipat. Oh, so who can hazard for me what Adipat stands for? It means what? Anything, any place, any time. Adipat. You can write that down if it's new to you. By the way, that's new to how many of you? Raise your hand if you're not sure. Fantastic. Because I, you're useful to me if you haven't heard this yet. So um, Adipat. Anything, any place, any time. When the Lord calls us, all aspects of our life, anything you want us to do, any place you want us to do it, any time that you want us to do it. Adipat. So here's what I like to do for Pastor Mike, because I think this would be real great fun. What I'd like you to do is on social media, or if you know his um, cell number, you need to bombard him with, oh, the preaching was okay, but there was one part that was fantastic. Pastor Kurt taught us Adipat. You need to hear all about it. Oh, he'll be so upset. It'll be the best thing, because this is Pastor Mike's thing. I'm borrowing it from him, but if you think that it, uh, I'm like up here teaching Adipat, he'll be like, wait a minute. This is my thing. Praise the Lord. My thing. Praise the Lord. It'll be great. It'll be great. 
All right, so maybe we can work on that together. Social media will be uh, the hashtag Adipat. Do they use hashtags anymore? Probably not. But uh, Adipat will be all over social media. It will go viral. It'll be great. He'll be praising God and upset at the same time. That'll be fantastic <laughs> for all of us. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, all of life, all that I have, every closet of my life, every corner of my life, all that I want, all that I do, all that I think, all that I say is Christ. You're gaming on Fortnite. Christ. Your media choices, Christ. How you drive, what you buy, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. To live is Christ. It's Christ. It must be Christ for Christ, by Christ, and under Christ. To live is designed to be Christ. So all of our lives are coming under the headship of his glory and honor. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain. Think about non-believers that you know outside of these walls. Do they think that dying is gain, yes or no? No, they don't think that dying is gain. How do they feel about dying? How does a non-believer feel or think about dying. They think what? They think that it is, they're scared. That's exactly right. And what are they scared of related to dying? Scared of yeah, the unknown. They don't know what's coming. And so they're scared. How else do non-believers feel about dying? They feel scared, but they also feel what? Yeah, they, they feel a sense of sadness because of loss. <laughs> My mom died 20 years ago, and she was sad <clears throat> as she suffered because of what she was losing. <clears throat> so an unbelieving heart, and maybe it may, it may be true that you're here believing and you trust in the Lord, but you're still scared of dying or you're still scared about, or sad, excuse me, about what you'll lose. You know that Hebrews 2.15 says that Christ's salvation delivers us from the fear of death? And I want you to know that joy and liberation, believer. If you're a believer and you're unsure about death, I want to help you to know that death is gain. And I want to teach you that from Paul's life in just a moment. But we can help non-believers because invariably they're scared of death or they're sad about it. But Paul thinks the exact opposite about death. He says that death is what? Death is gain. Okay, this word, care day, is the word for financial profit. And if you're in business, you know how profit works. You take all of your income, you subtract all of your expenditures, and you hope that at the outcome there is what color of a number, a red number or a black number? You want a black number for sure. And when that black number comes across the ledge, you're like, yes, profit, gain. It's yours. You've realized the purpose of your business and all of your efforts, you have gain. And Paul's saying that the point of his death, gain, profit, eternal profit, comes to his account forever, never to be touched or lost. Death is gain for the believer. And I want it to be gain for you. How can death 
be gained for all of us. First, if you're here this morning, and there's so many here in this service, and you haven't trusted in Christ, death is either something that you've ignored and you feel ambivalent towards, or you're scared, or you're sad, or maybe for some in a spirit of foolishness, you're like, well, bring it on, whatever it is, is going to work out. If you are not found in Christ, if you are not born again, death is not your friend. He's the worst, most horrible enemy that you could ever imagine. And I'm encouraging you, challenging you to flee to Christ this morning so that death can be a gateway of joy, profit, and gain for you too. Are you born again, friend? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? You can do so today. And friend, if you're believing, how can, de- how can death be gained to us? Three ways, very simple. Number one, you know what you expect. Death is gained for the believer when you know what to expect. I would encourage you strongly to study heaven. Read anything that Randy Alcorn has written. He's a fantastic and useful author. He teaches us about heaven, and we want you to know what to expect. The the fear of death is removed when you know what's in front of us. And Paul says so plainly in 1 Thessalonians 3 that when we die, we will be with Jesus forever always with Christ. What a thrill. And if that doesn't thrill you, you don't know my Savior like I do, because death is gained when we are with him forever in free-flowing exchange of fellowship for all time. Know what to expect, number one, believer. Number two, let go of the things of this world. Believers are sad about death because they cling to the things of this world, even good things like family or children, Sometimes believers even cling to possessions or different hopes. They want to be married or different desires. Let go of everything of this world and you will not fear death or be sad about death. You'll see that death is gain. Number one, know what to expect, believer. Number two, let go of everything in this world. And number three, prepare your life for the eventuality of your accountability before God. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that he may repay us for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that is the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. We will be in his presence so soon. And I want very much for you to be prepared. Young people, I want you to be prepared. I know that your life is carefree. You've just finished a school year. Maybe you've just graduated. Congratulations. May your life be Christ. Because if your life is Christ and your choices and your friends and your desires, if they're Christ then your death will be gain. You'll know what to expect. You will have let go of the things of this world and you will have prepared yourself for this coming reality. This is a colossal claim. For my life to be Christ is my death to be gain. So let me just ask you this question before we move to our second point. What aspect of your life do you need to draw more clearly under the reign of Jesus Christ? When you think about the Christ as life, part of this claim. What aspect of your life? Is it your media choices? Is it 
how you invest in hobbies? Is it a certain relationship? What part of your life? Write it down in the notes right in front of you. That's right, servant. Write down in the notes right in front of you. What aspect of your life you want to draw more deliberately under the reign of Jesus Christ? Christ is life. And then death is gain. Think of one of those three, preparing your understanding of heaven, knowing what to expect, letting go of the things of this world, or, or preparing your life to then enter into his presence. Maybe one of those three that you want to focus on and grow in. This is a colossal claim from Paul. And that leads us to a curious quandary in verses 20 through 24. So Paul then leaves this incredible claim to then tell us about this quandary. What's a quandary? Uh, if you're going to college, you'll be learning words like this in college. It'll be great for you. It'll be fantastic. But um, uh, a quandary is a difficult situation that demands a choice. And so you're stuck and you're pressed and you're not sure and you're troubled. And, and, and then uh, you have to make a choice even though you're kind of stuck in a way. Well, Paul gets stuck and he needs to make a choice. And he reveals that to us in verses 22 and 3 and 4. For if I'm to live on the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Look at these words in verse 22. Yet which I shall, what's the next word? Choose, I cannot tell. I am, verse 23, hard-pressed between what? The two. So what's the noun form of the verb to choose? Paul was facing a what? A choice. Paul had a choice between two things. And, but at this point, you're like, what two things? What it's not obvious what choice he's talking about. He's talking about the choice that Paul had in front of him of life and death. Paul apparently was choosing whether he was going to pursue a path of life, further usefulness to God, or death and being, departing and being with the Lord. Now, I told you why Paul was in Rome. Why was Paul in Rome? Because he had, one, he had an audience that he was anticipating. He wanted to preach to whom? Caesar. And uh, was Caesar a man of, of mellow demeanor and ease, or, or was he relatively spiked? I don't know. It's unlikely that you've met him. I haven't either, but I, I think the guy was pretty much a tyrant. And so Paul was going to appear before Caesar. But Paul was facing in this opportunity of evangelism a way to preach in such a way that would lead to his freedom and life, or a way that he could preach such that he would for sure be martyred. Very interesting. And I want to take us back to the book of Acts to show you these two examples so you have an understanding of Paul's choice, choosing life or choosing death. Let's start with life. Let's go back with me to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the ministry of Stephen. So Paul's choice was this, to choose life by preaching in a winsome and generous way that would lead to his freedom in ongoing ministry or death to preach in a faithful and direct way that would surely lead to his martyrdom and he could go and be with the Lord. I want to show you these two examples by starting with the life option in Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7. So look at the last verse in chapter 6. This is talking about Stephen and he was arrested and brought before a Jewish proconsul in Jerusalem. And it says that when they brought him in, that Stephen had the appearance of what? An 
an angel. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? I mean, it was, it's a great sign. He walks in and the whole council, even though they're Jewish and he's a Christian, like, this guy's an angel. <laughs> what, what bad could he have done? And then you read the seventh chapter, and almost the whole seventh chapter is Stephen's faithful preaching of the gospel. So go with me to verse 51 of chapter 7, because I want to see you how Stephen preached faithfully, leading to his death. Look at verse 51. He started off looking like an angel, and then, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced before him the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. And you have received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Wow! So Stephen went from angel to ferocious on-fire preacher. How do you think they received this? Do you know the story? Yeah, within a few verses, they cast him out of the city to do what? To stone him. Was Stephen harsh? Was he kind of being mean or was he being faithful? He was faithful. And how do we know that? Because who stood in heaven at his stoning? The Lord Jesus stood in honor of Stephen's faithfulness and boldness and courage as he was being stoned. So this is a way to preach in a faithful way that would lead to death. He would be martyred. But how can you be faithful to preach the message in a way that would lead to life? Let's see that from the example of Paul. Go with me to Acts chapter 26. So Paul is then converted in part because of Stephen's testimony. And now he has been arrested and he is on his way from Jerusalem through Caesarea Maritima to Rome. He stayed in Caesarea Maritima, which is in uh, Israel, uh, and it was a Roman colony. It was a place where um, transport would occur. So Herod built a, a dock there. And uh, he was, Paul was there for over 18 months, and he met with Felix, he met with Festus, you heard of these guys, and now he's um, preaching to King Agrippa. King Agrippa was the king of the Decapolis, and so he was the king of that region of Israel, and he was, a, so these different magistrates would then hear from the prisoners, because Paul, again, a Roman citizen, having the right to appeal directly to Caesar, he had made that appeal, and he was on his way to Rome, and they're kind of like, hey, let's just let this be, let's not stir it up, we don't need this guy talking to Paul, and so they kept on trying to release him. And he's like, no, I'm appealing to Caesar. That's my right. They're like, ah, we want you to like, be like, oh, like, no. So, so now we're in Acts 26 and he's preaching to King Agrippa. Look at verses two and three. Very different from Stephen. Paul says this, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Is this the same as Stephen or completely different? Completely different. His tact was winsome and generous and faithful. What he did was to win King Agrippa, to acknowledge his position and his authority. So how did King Agrippa respond to him? Verse 28. And by the way, Paul was faithful. Look at verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. 
he was pressing into King Agrippa. Verse 28 is Agrippa's response. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He's basically saying, I need this to stop because I'm being persuaded by you to trust in Christ. And he's like, I'm a Roman, I'm Agrippa, I'm not into that, let's shut it down. But what was his ultimate response? Verse 31, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And this man, says Agrippa to Felix, could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So do you see how Paul faithfully preaches the gospel in a winsome and generous way that would lead to not death, but life, like he did with Felix, Festus, and Agrippa? Do you see the choice that Paul was struggling to make? To live by preaching in this way before Caesar, or to die by preaching in Stephen's way faithfully as well. Now back in Philippians, I want you to see how he thought about these choices. How did Paul view the choice of living or dying? Which one did he think was better? It's completely clear here in the text. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Verse 23, my desire, so Paul's saying, what I want is to what? To depart. Now depart and go where? Heaven. Depart and be with Christ. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is, what does he say it is? Far better. Paul said, my preference is death because that brings me into Christ's presence. And for me personally, that is far better. But he says he's stuck. That's the death option. What about the life option? Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. So death is good for me and life is good for you. And he's like, I'm not sure which to choose. He's facing this quandary, and he's struggling to determine what is best. Well, friends, we ourselves need to be faithful in our preaching. Think about your preaching of the gospel, and think about your interest in promoting the purposes of Christ, and your willingness to receive from him whatever he brings, whether life or death. And Paul says about death that it is far better Let's take for a moment and ask ourselves the question, what's our far better? Is it finally being able to buy that house? Is it uh, finally winning the attention of that special somebody that you'd like to date and maybe moving forward in your relationship? Is your far better, even through many years of struggle, finally having children of your own? Most of your far betters are good things, but I want to encourage you to think of the ultimate far better, which is to be with Christ forever. And these interests that you have, in many cases are not sinful, but consider whether they have taken the place of the ultimate far better, which is to depart and be with Christ you see, because when your worship is filled and you've sought first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, then what does Jesus promise you? Then what? Then all these things will be added to you. So put first the far better, departing and being with Christ, full fellowship with the Son of God, knowing him deeply and devotedly with joy, 
pursuing him every day and preparing for that reality that we will be with him in due time. And all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No matter your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll appear there, friend. And it may be that me saying that comes as a warning to you. And if it is a warning, I mean for it to land deliberately but gently. Be forewarned that you will stand before your maker, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And your preparedness is your greatest virtue and pursuit today. And for those of us that are in Christ, us preparing for that, this is our far better, this is our greatest joy. Let's put this first. So this is the, Paul, this is the choice that Paul was facing. Preaching in such a way that would lead to life and more ministry or preaching in such a way that would prefer him and his interests by going directly to heaven. So that leads us to number three, a concrete conviction. A concrete conviction. Verse 25, convinced of this. He's like, I got it, I got it. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for what? Your, what does it say? Your progress and joy in the faith. This is the reason we remain. This is it right here. The only reason believers stay behind, the reason, is to spend oneself for the progress and joy of the faith of others. Jesus says, go therefore into all the nations and what? Make disciples. Then he says in Acts 1, he says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. And then he says, actually, back in Mark 1, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Whether it's fishers of men, making disciples, being his witnesses, bearing fruit, taking up his yoke, all of these images are exactly what Paul is accenting. We have the privilege of collaborating with Christ to promote the joy and progress of the faith of others. This is why Christians are here. This is our whole life. This is our privileged calling. This is our new identity. This is our equipment that he's given us in his advocacy in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is it. This is why we remain, to promote the joy and progress of the faith of others. Progress is a very compelling word to me. It's the word used for military advancement. This is Memorial Day weekend. I want to express my personal gratitude for everybody here that has served our nation. We're eating the fruit of your service and sacrifice every day. And people all over the world are receiving help and joy from the sacrifices that you and your loved ones have made for our nation. We're proud of your contributions and we're thankful for it. And this word here is a word of military advancement. The Pacific Theater, Iwo Jima, World War II. The Marines, as they were taking the island against fierce counter-assault by the Japanese, headquarters on Iwo Jima, they were measuring progress on the different fronts every hour of every day. And do you know that on some fronts, for days on end, they were measuring their military advancement by the inch? Not by the field, not by the mile, and not even by the yard, because under fierce counterattack, you see the Japanese had spent years digging 
hundreds of miles of subterranean tunnels so that they could attack the Americans that were on their way and defeat them on land. In fact, Iwo Jima is the only military exchange in modern military history where the attackers lost more combatants than the defenders. The only one. And they had so defended their island that the Marines were for some days on their faces, belly crawling inches at a time, trying to make headway and advancement in the gospel or in the advancement militarily. But ours is an advancement in the gospel. And I'm not sure what fields in your life are hard like that. Maybe you have a wayward child. It's breaking your heart. Maybe you have a conflict at work that's so troubling and vexing for you. Maybe you have a sin or a temptation that is so sticky and so stubborn you just can't get rid of it. I don't know what field is difficult for you, but by the grace of God, make progress in the gospel by the inch today. And there may be other fields where you can make gospel progress by the mile. And you bring the gospel and people respond and you speak to them and they hear the word and they respond by the grace of God. But whatever it is, all aspects of our life are for the advancement of the gospel and the progress and joy of the faith of others. That's why we remain. Now, hopefully at the beginning of this sermon, when I asked you to write down the reason why we remain, uh, you did so. When I asked that question, how many of you had something like this? Gospel, evangelism, or fellowship? How many of you had something like this written down? Raise your hand out loud. It's fantastic. You get this. You're understanding this is the reason why we remain. But for all of us, friends, I need something to be clarified for you. This is not a knowing thing, friends. This is a doing thing. It does us little good to know that we should be making disciples and promoting the progress and joy and welfare of others spiritually. It does us no good to know that. It only does us good if we do it. Jesus says that you are my friends if you do what I tell you. John 15, 14. So let's press in for a couple minutes to help you to apply this. So if you're at this point understanding Christ's call, Paul's example, that the reason why we remain is for the progress and joy of the faith of others, then let's be really practical. I want you to write down in the note sheet in front of you three spheres of influence. Neighborhood, work, family, marriage, parenting, distant family, just any three spheres of influence that you have in your life. Because it's not the hearer of the law that's blessed, but the doer thereof. So let's focus on some doing for a few minutes. Three different spheres of influence. Just any three in your life. Now for each of those spheres of influence, I'm going to ask you to write down one name. A certain neighbor, a certain coworker, maybe one of your children because you wrote down parenting. Write down one name in each of those spheres. Could be a college roommate. It could be a friend that went away to a different college, and now you're going to be back here hanging out this summer together. I don't know who it is or your sphere. But write down three names, one for each of those spheres. Now, for each of those names, I'm asking between you and the Lord to write down one action for each of those. 
I mean, just take parenting, for example. You know how thrilled your kids would be if you're like, we're going to have a study in discipleship this summer because they've been studying all year. They can't wait to study again. You know what I'm saying? It'll be perfect. It'll be the best summer ever. Well, it could be something simple like you just have a a certain conversation or a special maybe breakfast with that child. I don't know what you would want to do. Maybe your coworker, maybe you wrote down work and your coworker's name and maybe someone's suffering and you need to... You, you need to encourage them by, by taking that step of boldness and engaging them in faith and say, I want to pray for you. Can I encourage you in your walk? This is an opportunity for us to take this message and to apply it deliberately. See, friends, because I don't know, related to your life, if there are people in this audience that are in a place where they have acute need. Maybe you have an acute need physically. You've received a very scary diagnosis and prognosis about something in your, your health. Maybe you're suffering, suffering financially and you're on the brink of something that could be really fearful. Maybe there's an acute need in this audience and we can be there for one another, encouraging and blessing. Maybe one of your sphere of influences is, is your small group and you wrote down the name of somebody and you want to press into their life and bring the hope and joy that Christ provides into their life. This is why we are here. One interaction, one relationship at a time, divesting of ourselves to fill up the spiritual accounts of others. May the Lord help us as we consider these opportunities to honor him. So again, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your joy and progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26 is so important. So that in me, you may have ample cause to do what? In verse 26, so that in me, you may have ample cause to do what? To glory in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Let me just, this, this is, this is fantastic. Our investment in others spiritually builds them up so that they glorify Jesus Christ better. That's awesome. That our lives can be used. Our divestiture, our pouring out can put them on a platform of progress and strength so that they can have a better opportunity to glorify the Son of God. What a tremendous privilege. You being used actively to promote the glory of Christ in the edification of believers and the evangelism of the lost. May our lives every day, every hour be spent to this end. Because this is the reason we remain. John Patton. His day started in suffering on the island of Tana, as I told you about his wife and son. Four years later, he was chased off that island by an uprising among all of the tribes to chase him off because they thought that a plague that had come to the island was because of his presence. So he fled for his life after pouring himself out for four years into those people. He then spent four years after he left Tana to bring the word of the New Hebrides and missions opportunities to Australia and England and Scotland and America even. And he brought the message so that more support would come. He remarried and four years later, he returned to the New Hebrides and went to an island called Aniwa. He faced massive, massive suffering, pneumonia, fever, dysentery, 
his wife also suffered greatly. He lost other children in their youth and infancy. At one point, he spent many... uh, Uh, several years raising money for a missionary ship that would come and support the missionaries in those different islands. And the ship then was launched from England and landed in the New Hebrides, crash landed and sinks in the harbor. And all these setbacks and all of these difficulties, he said, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus Christ. And by his grace, that island bows its knees at the feet of Jesus today. That was his testimony at the end of his life. The entire island of Aniwa was converted to Christ under his ministry. He knew why he remained despite the hardship, despite the difficulty, and what a privilege to learn from him. In the waning days of his life, as he's finishing his autobiography, he leaves this testimony for us all. Patton says, as I lay down my pen, let me record my immovable conviction that his is the noblest service in which any human being can be spent or spend their lives. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived all over again, I would, without one quiver of hesitation, lay it on the altar of Christ, that he might use it in similar ministries of love, especially among those who have never heard the name of Jesus. God gave his best, his son, and I will give back my best, my life for him. John Patton knew the reason we remain. And now you do too. May we honor him in our response and obedience. And Father, I just ask that you would help us, that you would lead us, that you would show us, that you would guide us. Paul's testimony is in perfect alignment with your son Jesus Christ commandment for us. And so may it be that we would be those that would evangelize and that we would reach out and that we would preach the gospel and that we would be spending our lives and pouring ourselves out for your glory and your honor that at the end of the day, that our lives would be poured out for the joy and progress of the faith of others day in and day out. Help us, dear Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.